Hello, and welcome back to 22 Mysteries Podcast. Today we are talking about something that I believe everybody at some point in their life struggles with, and yet, for some reason, nobody really wants to talk about. Well, today we are going to talk about it, and that subject is mental health. This is sicker than your average, average. This is the 22 Mysteries Podcast with your host, Sean Hamilton. I might just persuade you to love hip-hop just a little bit more. I just believe that it is the voice of the people, man. The effects of music, specifically hip-hop music. How activism can be a part of the culture. Four elements of hip-hop can be taken around the world to make this world a better place. All right. So the reason that I felt the need to talk about mental health is that I believe it's on everybody's mind at this point in time. It's it's hard for it not to be right. It is one of those things that we all struggle with at some point in our life. And yet it feels like we're isolated and alone in going through it. Right now, in our culture, we are seeing the manifestations of a lot of mental health crisis in a lot of different areas. We're seeing it in the really visible way inside the schools with all of the violence that's happening inside of our schools and all the mass shootings that keep taking place. And we want to place the blame and push it all around and do all of this and point fingers and say this and that. And it's obvious the real issue is we have a serious mental health problem in our country and in the world that's not really being addressed in any real way. Now, our politicians and all of the talking heads, they seem to politicize this issue. And yet, they're not doing anything really that much to remove the stigma around talking about it, but they're using it more so as a scapegoat in this particular situation. And again, this is only my opinion. I'm not a mental health professional by any means, but I will get into my experiences with mental health and that allows me at least some perspective on why it is that I feel capable of discussing this. We, as a culture, seem to be right now in the midst of an incredible crisis. There are so many people struggling in so many different walks of life and in so many different areas, and everything seems to be scapegoated. It seems to be excused or dismissed or denied or invalidated, and that's one of the major issues around mental health is that all of those things are true when we discuss mental health. We deny it. We run from it. We invalidate it. We try and fix it without really understanding it. We're scared of it. I mean, a lot in a lot of ways, mental health is one of those things that a lot of people look at, in my opinion, as this like communicable disease. Like if we get too close of it, If we get too close to it, we're going to catch it. If we say its name out loud, almost like Beetlejuice, we're going to summon it into our lives or something. 
I've had many opportunities in my life to experience crisis and mental health. And that's really what this perspective is that I can bring to the table is just talking about it from a vulnerable, authentic place to try and remove some of the stigma because I have a couple of hypotheses around mental health. I think that mental health should be looked at as a continuum, meaning everybody's on it and it's a sliding scale. There's a couple of variables that we can generalize that contribute to somebody's current state of mental health. Those variables would be circumstances in your life environment, and biology. Now, if we remove biology for a second, not entirely, we're not just discarding it or forgetting it or dismissing it, but if we just remove that for a second and at least make the assumption that the majority of people are biologically sound when it comes to mental health. We're we're, we're born in a biologically sound state with a body that wants to maintain some type of mental homeostasis that's able to correct itself if these other two variables are also conducive to that. Meaning, the circumstances in your life, things that happen that are outside of your control or decisions that you actually made. Environment, meaning the things that are surrounding you at this particular moment in time that could be either A, leading to a deterioration of your mental health, or B, conducive to a positive shift towards that homeostatic state of mental wellness, emotional well-being. Now, with that being said, And that assumption being made for this argument, we could at least say that all of us, every single human being, are susceptible to circumstances in our life pushing us towards one end of the spectrum or the other. Towards complete hysteria where you feel like you're going crazy or to the other side where you're just depressed and down and want it all to stop. Those two being the extremes, but here's the deal. Circumstances in your life push you in either direction. Now, this is what I'm trying to say about circumstances, is that we all have things that happen in our life that are outside of our control. Loved ones dying, losing a job, being betrayed, injury, a whole myriad of circumstances that can happen that can lead to a lot of different things happening within our mind and our emotional well-being, whether or not we're okay in this particular moment. Now, again, I'm not a mental health professional. I have studied a lot about this. 
I have experienced a lot about this, and I have helped a lot of people through a lot of crisis to at least have some just baseline level of knowledge about what I've seen as well as what I've experienced myself. Now, in my own life, circumstances were such that when I was young, in third grade, I was diagnosed with ADHD. Diagnosed and treated. I was prescribed Ritalin and put on Ritalin when I was in third grade. So I was like, what? Nine? Eight or nine? The first time that I was given some pharmaceutical drug in order to keep me, I guess, mentally stable is what, you know. And the problem I had with that, right, was that at that time, I believe that my mom was trying to make a decision to the best of her ability to help me with what I was going through, not only in the classroom, but at home. I was a young kid. I didn't really understand what was really happening inside of my mind as far as the growth process and the mental processes that are taking place naturally, right? We all have that kind of inner voice, that inner dialogue that is kind of our thoughts. And as a child, I didn't really know how to express the emotional state of that inner dialogue. And so it came out as if I am somewhat of a depressed child or an angry child or some type of emotional wreck in moments of my life or just off the walls, can't sit still. And what I look back on about that time in my life was that there was a lot of things happening. There was a lot of circumstances in my life that I don't think were really taken into consideration by one, my parents, or two, the doctors who were diagnosing and trying to prescribe me medication, or three, my teachers, the ones who were the only other authority really in my life trying to get me to sit down, be quiet, shut up, and pay attention to a bunch of boring things that no kid really wants to sit and learn at that age. Nobody was really taking any of that into consideration, which I believe is predominantly the case when we look out at all of a sudden, like every kid out there is ADHD and every kid out there is depressed and every kid, right? It's like, well, here's the thing. We wake up in the morning. We ingest a whole lot of sugar when we're kids, right? We're eating cereal or some type of, you know, sugary thing, right? Some sort of massive carbohydrate, whether it's like peanut butter and jelly sandwiches or whatever, like sodas and just juices and all the different types of things that are out there for breakfast. And you get all sugar rushed and then you go sit in a dull ass classroom and try to learn about things that really aren't that interesting. And you're waking up into this kind of conscious state as a little kid trying to understand what's going on around you. And you're, you're trying to make the best of it. And yet we have this society of adults trying to look at kids and judge kids for their ability to sit still in a dull-ass classroom when that just may not be how kids or all kids learn. It seems like that could be one of the issues. 
that I at least suffered when I look back at that, right? Because it's not like I was any kind of like manic depressive at that time. I was just having trouble explaining to my parents the feelings that I had inside about the fact that when I go to school, I'm incredibly fucking bored. I feel like this material is just not exciting. It's not interesting. And yet I'm forced to learn it. And I'm forced to in such a way that if I don't do it, I'm actually made to feel like I'm dumb if I don't do well. And it just, it just never made any sense, you know? And, and when I look back on it and just reaching a state in my life where I recognized that I was just a creative kid wanting to be outside creating and being a part of nature and loving sports and activity and recognizing that if I go too long without being active, that I get balled up and pin up and like extremely like anxious is the only way to really put that. But all that really means is that there's a lot of energy that needs to get put somewhere, right? That's that. And if I just sit with it for too long, it manifests itself in what it seems like mainstream medicine is going to call anxiety, which is ridiculous because it's just, you have an energetic way of life that we all do. We're humans, we're animals, and we, we, we store energy and then we burn it. And if we don't have a place to burn it off, it seems to internalize and it seems to go into our mind and fuck up our psychology. And we manifest that in a lot of just different, I guess, abnormal behaviors when it comes to not being able to sit still in class or being disruptive or, you know, cutting up, you know, jokes and just trying to bring some type of, you know, humor into the situation, which is completely dull. So that was like at the very beginning of, of my childhood there where automatically I felt like an outsider, which was not at all really that easy to deal with. And then you're medicated, right? And for any of those who have taken Ritalin um, at that age, you you might have had the same experience that I had, but it was incredibly horrible. I felt like I was in the movie Equilibrium, taking the prosium, if you've seen that movie. If not, it's basically a movie about, you know, set in the future where the government has decided that any color and art and feeling and emotion is really what leads to uh, the adverse human condition. And so they have indoctrinated an entire society of people to medicate all emotion away as a hope to control the human race. And all it really turns into is an Orwellian kind of nightmare. And, you know, Christian Bale, who plays this, you know, pretty awesome kind of warrior, stops taking his prosium and becomes an able to feel again and then fights against the system. And it's, it's an incredible movie. Uh, but when I look back at my childhood on Ritalin, that's kind of how it felt is that I just felt like a walking zombie. And I, for two years spit out the medication when I would take it after breakfast at home and at school where I was forced to go down after lunch to the nurse's office and take medication every day with this one other girl who was diagnosed with ADHD and she was doing the same thing. And both of us spit all out our medication because that shit made us feel horrible. So that was like my first kind of experience with the fact that, 
you know, mental health is just this continuum and it slides in either way, but there's this massive stigma around it where instead of actually just talking about it and like figuring out and making the space for me to actually express what was going on and really getting to the root of it, there was just a lot of misunderstanding between my lack of being able to express it as a child and my, you know, parents and teachers and doctors experience and assumptions and kind of just wanting it to be better in this moment quickly and trying to find a quick fix for it. And I feel like that is just a example and a metaphor for what may be running rampant right now in our culture, because I know I experienced it. And when I look out and I see a bunch of these stories, I'm like, well, I went through the same thing. And when we're talking about circumstances, you have to really understand at that point, I am a child of divorce and I'm week in and week out, week in and week out, 50% custody between my mom and my dad's house. My mom and my dad's house couldn't have been more different in that my dad's house was an incredibly liberal, musical, creative place that was really no routine whatsoever because he owned and operated a murder mystery dinner theater and it was just incredibly chaotic, a lot of fun, but there was no real routine in that space. And then you go over to my mom's house, which my stepdad was an incredibly staunch, conservative Texas Republican listening to Rush Limbaugh at the same time, at the same place, watching the same TV shows, literally going to the same restaurants on the same day of the week. My mom, it was like literally, I'm not trying to be hyperbolic about this, but would cook the same meals on the same day. Like, so there was just this massive difference of my routine week in and week out. And I didn't have a home in the sense of what a home I think should feel like. I really, honestly, I don't know because I never really had that growing up. Um, One home, like one place that you feel like is yours. I was constantly living out of a suitcase. My entire childhood was constantly unpacking my bag, repacking my bag at the end of the week moving places, unpacking my bag. It was constantly felt like I was just in and out of different, I mean, Airbnbs now, if you can think about it that way, it really felt like I was just in this different Airbnb every week. And yet my, my family was really loving and supportive and they were, they were great. And they, they did get along as far as both households, uh, to, you know, a pretty, pretty good degree. And yet, at the same time, when I look at circumstance, I go, okay, so here's a kid who can't sit still because his life is absolutely fucking chaotic. And that's what circumstance is. When I look at it and I try to bring that metaphor into mental health and recognize that we're all in this continuum, is that it's all about circumstances can lead to slide either way on that spectrum of mental health. Take a child who was born and raised in one household that is incredibly chaotic, violent, and abusive. Their situation, their circumstances will, I mean, that's an easy case to look at and say that they would probably be sliding one way or the other on the mental health spectrum because of their circumstance, their environment that that is happening, right? They're either getting beat or they're seeing their mom get beat or their siblings get beat or abused in some way. And that leads to a serious breakdown in mental health over time. It's, that's, 
and completely backed by science. We see it all over the place. You know, this program that I've gone into these schools with to talk to kids about the violence in their home, it's really prevalent. You know what I'm saying? It's like, I mean, it's really prevalent. I mean, way more prevalent than I would have ever suspected. I mean, I would have guessed, you know, probably a little bit, but not to the degree that I have been finding, at least in this one particular school, which I just have to assume is not that far out of the norm. And so that's what concerns me is that we're looking at this crisis of mental health in our country and we're not I'm I'm hoping to be a part of the conversation here at least from this side so that you know we can bring some sense of community to this issue to like allow kids that are going through it at that young age that they're not alone as well as the adults who have grown into adulthood and are still going through it and will continue to have circumstances in their life and have environments in their life that aren't supportive to a great mental health and well-being, that you're not alone, you know? Uh, there's, you know, a hashtag floating around right now that's I'm with you, and this is my contribution to that hashtag and to this conversation is that you're not alone. If you're listening to this and have been in a place that's rough and you may be identifying with what some of the things I'm saying is that you're not alone. We're all not alone. We're all a part of this human experience and we all slide one way or the other. Now, that's not to say that you can't slide to one end of the spectrum and get stuck because of your circumstances or the things that are happening in your life and your environment doesn't support you being able to get out of it. You know, I have personal examples in my life to that as well. And I just have had so many experiences up until this point that it is incredibly important to get the message out that if you're feeling down, if you're feeling stuck, you got to reach out. You have to reach out to your community or to specialists or to the suicide hotline. If that, if it's gotten that bad, really please reach out and you can reach out to this podcast. I mean, I for one know all too well what it's like to be completely and utterly feeling isolated and hopeless and at wit's end with what the circumstances and situation in my life. And when you're young too, it feels like it's never going to end. It feels like it's just so permanent. And yet, when you gain a few more years and you take a couple more trips around the sun, you recognize that it's not always permanent that there is change and that there is a way to continue to slide back towards that homeostatic state. And so when we come back, I'm about to play a song for you. Um, and when we come back, I want to tell you another story about, you know, one of the times in my life where I completely disassociated for like months and I was not myself. It was one of the more scary times in my life. And it was because I had an allergic reaction that put me in the hospital and I was 15 minutes away from death. And I will tell you more about that story after we come back, but I want to just share with you a, a live version that I just recorded for this episode of a song that I wrote. So this is a, this is a written song, but I live performed it. Um, I haven't gotten a chance to studio record it yet, but I figured that I would just give you a, a live version of it. 
And this is just going to let you in on some of the things that have happened in my life and moments that have pushed me close to the edge of the continuum on mental health, man. And I just wanted this to be a contribution to those of you out there who may be feeling or have felt a struggle or know somebody who's struggling. And when we come back, I'll tell you another story about uh, my disassociative time that took me a long time to kind of find myself again. And I'll, I'll just to go in and explain how I found myself again as well. So I'll see you on the other side of the song. I hope you enjoy it. This is called Rise of the Phoenix. They say home is where the heart is. Well, I'm broken hearted. I'm from a broken home and that's just when my life started. Week in and week out, it was always back and forth. Don't get too comfortable, son. It's time to pack your bags for 10 years in. Having to pray for my brother while he's fighting for his life. While he's lying in a coma for four months. My whole family struggled so much. Cause some low life decided to drive while he's drunk. The system dismissed him. His injuries were disavowed. What a driver's insurance pop smoked and injured out. Five years after that, I had to watch my dad at the top of a mountain. Have a widow making heart attack. I was holding his hand. I was just his little man with no clue what to do. Cause I couldn't even stand. I was kneeling by his side, transfixed on his eyes. Watching as his suffering transferred into mine. Don't judge a book by his cover, especially his smiles. Cause he's trying to hide his struggles. Don't underestimate him either. Just cause he's in trouble doesn't mean that he's defeated As long as wings are attached Feel the breeze rising from the ashes The phoenix breathes Starting off high school with a lesson in grief Undiagnosed trauma on top of PTSD I started smoking weed even more than I was Just to choke back the tears and just hoping for some love I'm so young, but still a dude in this world And if I ask for some hugs, then I'm viewed as a girl I'm struggling just to hold my head above the water When in walks this girl who's struggling even harder We're head over heels, we were healing each other's hearts Dealing with our pain of the past and the scars My grief disappeared with the arrival of rage Of learning she had survived being repeatedly raped Where's this motherfucker at? Let's take a bat to his face this should never have happened to a girl in the 8th grade That's when I realized that my anger made it worse I know I need patience, but this pain is a curse Don't judge a book by his cover, especially his smiles Cause he's trying to hide his struggles Don't underestimate him either Just cause he's in trouble doesn't mean that he's defeated As long as wings are attached Feel the breeze rising from the ashes the phoenix breeze at 19 my best friend died the drugs got the best of them and all i was left with was the questions why i spent my 20s trying to figure out who i was so i enlisted in the navy and i volunteered subs they taught me how to operate a nuclear reactor and they taught me how to contemplate a nuclear disaster at 20,000 leagues i watched multiple men crack from pressures that wouldn't lessen the best of them would snap after my time served i was hurting and feeling worthless a born again civilian it was hard to find purpose so i created a movie bleeding through my music I was told I was too old You won't make it So don't do it But something inside Was coming alive And starting to breathe I feel it strengthening With every breath So I set it free I gave it all the energy It needed It almost killed me In the process The rise of the phoenix Don't judge a book By his cover Especially his smiles Cause he's trying to Hide his struggles As long as wings Are attached Feel the breeze Rising from the ashes The phoenix breeze All right, welcome back. 
So that song again was called Rise of the Phoenix. Um, that one was a, a pretty emotional song to write, I'm not going to lie. That was looking at a lot of the moments in my life that were really difficult to go through. Uh, some of the, the, the traumatic events um, in, my, in my early childhood, through the teenage years, into adulthood. And, you know, I thought that it, um, the reason I recorded that now is because I had been writing that for a while, um, you know, and I've been, I've been practicing it for a while, getting ready to kind of go into the studio with it. And so I thought that I'd just kind of create like a live version over the loop um, of the beat that I uh, have been making for it. Um, I think that I'm really excited about taking that one into the studio because I think we'll be able to do a lot of really cool, like, things with the hook and, um, you know, kind of add some variety to the beat so i apologize for that just being a single loop the whole time but that's just the structure of like the whole beat that we're working with and um yeah i'm excited because i think that the 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 hook for that will be incredibly emotional when i can get like a a female vocalist to kind of um harmonize and do uh you know that kind of scaling oohs and ahs and bring in some emotion to it so i'm excited for that one i hope you are too um I wanted to share that one with you because of the fact that that one really showcases some of the the more kind of pivotal moments that led to those circumstances I was talking about. Um, a lot of those times were were a struggle, and I know that I'm I'm going to tell you a story here in just a minute about a time that wasn't in that list. But um, yeah, it was uh you know the times in my life that that were really hard because of circumstance um you know when i was when i was 10 years old my brother was hit by a drunk driver and you know he was in a coma for four months and the doctors told us he wasn't gonna make it and you know as a 10 year old that was that was incredibly hard to be at the hospital every day and to see this my older brother who I'm like, I look up to, to just see him kind of lying in a hospital bed at the end of his life, you know, and sitting there every day thinking that, you know, any day could be the last or we're going to have to take him off of life support. And my, you know, parents are going to have to make some incredibly difficult decision and all of our family and, you know, and the, the, the circumstances around the, the accident were absolutely insane. Like the way that the drunk driver hit him was like I mean it was crazy it was just like a, it was like a Hollywood stunt in that the car that hit him was going the opposite direction on a highway went into like a bull median in some like nowhere part of I-35 in Texas between Austin and Dallas and the car ended up like launching into the air doing flips and rolls and all sorts of stuff it tossed the driver out onto the highway and uh, the car like landed on top of my brother's car as he's, you know, doing 65, 70 miles an hour down the highway and his girlfriend's sitting next to him. My brother was in a coma for four months and his girlfriend walked away with like some cuts and bruises after a car like landed on their car. Um, so she was incredibly, incredibly lucky. And my brother had to be, you know, pulled out by the jaws of life and, it was just an incredibly traumatic time, uh, like, you know, in my experience, and it wasn't even, you know, and I wasn't even the one really experiencing it. And so when I when I discuss circumstances, it's like because 
things happen to people in our lives that affect us too, you know, and we, we are traumatized almost secondhand sometimes more often than we actually go through things ourselves, you know, some of us, and, you know, it's, it's incredibly difficult. And so there's a lot of just different things that I think are nuanced in this conversation of mental health that I I hope that we can all be a part of this conversation. I hope that we can start it here on this podcast as well as, you know, as this podcast grows, you know, being a part of other collaborative efforts and other creators and other podcasts. So like, those that are interested in having this conversation, I would love to be a part of it. Because I, I, I think I have some level of input here and perspective that I am willing to bring to the table on this and just be vulnerable and, and help as many people as possible. Try to remove the stigma around mental health so that people can open up and talk about it because it really is one of the most important aspects of healing is being able to talk about it with others, to reconcile it within yourself, to help your mind think about it in a different way and do what needs to be done in order to allow your mind to get to a place that it can heal itself and and then and move past whatever that trauma may have been. So that's my two cents on that. And um, yeah, so I'm going to address this issue that happened in my life and just tell you a little story. Um, so for this story, I have to kind of go back to a time when I was in audio engineering school in Arizona, um, probably one of the greatest times of my life. I was, I was getting to work in studios with, you know, really amazing producers that worked on a lot of, uh, death row projects that worked on, like my favorite tool albums and just a lot of just different bands and these producers and these recording and mix engineers, man, they were just incredibly amazing instructors, incredibly awesome mentors when it came to music production and just the thought process behind, you know, kind of putting everything together. It was just a really great time in my life. And it was the first time that I had kind of like, moved really far away from home and I was having a great time. I was living in an apartment complex with just a whole bunch of other college kids that were going to ASU. And there was just, it was an incredible time and it was just a lot of fun. Um, a lot of partying and a lot of hard work, man, a lot of time, a lot of hours spent in the studio with a lot of really great bands and a lot of great artists and other mix engineers and other students and friends that I made around that time. And, so I was just kind of setting the scene because really what ended up happening was is that I got sick. Um, I came down with some sort of like infection or something and I called the doctor, got prescribed some antibiotics, um, took the antibiotics and started feeling better. So I did the stupid thing as you know a young adult might do is I didn't complete the entire cycle of antibiotics. I just put the antibiotics up in my cabinet and just went about my business and felt better and everything was great. Like a month or two later, I started feeling kind of symptomatic again. And I was like, oh, no, not again. Like, you know, I've kind of been burning it at both ends. And, you know, so I was kind of run down and I stayed home from school one day and took the antibiotics again, went and grabbed some food and got something to eat. I'm sitting down on the couch, just kind of vibing out and just not feeling great and just kind of, you know, hoping to get better and just like watching TV and just bullshitting. And all of a sudden I started feeling a little odd 
And I'll tell you that it crept up incredibly fast. It went from an odd feeling to my hands and feet being like on fire to my entire body being on fire, um, including and not limited to my crotch just incred- like in the most weirdly intense way of just like it radiating from my feet just kind of moving in waves up my legs all the way through just every place in my body just started to feel like it was on fire. And then that's when it got extremely scary. Like, you know, the onset of anxiety when that happens is intense. It's like incapacitating. I went to the bathroom to kind of look at myself in the mirror. My eyes were bulged out like, incredibly far they were bloodshot to the point of like basically no white in the in the eye it was all blood there were like tears of blood coming down uh my throat was swelling up i couldn't breathe i at that time didn't know it but i was in the preliminary stages of a full-on anaphylactic shock experience and i didn't know what to do and so i it being the middle of the day and everybody being at school and all the friends that I had around and different in the apartment complex were all at school. They were all, you know, doing what I was supposed to be doing at school, which, and no one was around. And so I walk up, like kind of stagger up. I'm at this point, like in such a daze, I walk up to the apartment, kind of uh, the, the, the leasing office. And I collapsed on the floor as I uttered like, one word, which was hospital. And I just collapsed on the floor. And I kind of have this like flash bulby, very vague memory of kind of getting into the car, sitting in the car a little bit. My vision went completely white. I, I called my mom to basically tell her that I was sorry at that point. I didn't really, I I didn't really know what was going on. I told her that I was sorry. Um, but I thought I was dying. Um, and I totally freaked her out. I, I felt like it was the end of my life and that I was on my way out and, uh, I get to the hospital and they, you know, the, the girl, like, of course she's, you know, I, I can only imagine what's going on right now. Cause I have no real memory of it, but I can only imagine that she got out of the car and was like in a complete panic and ran into the hospital and grabbed somebody and they came out. I remember being put into a wheelchair and kind of wheeled in. Um, I got into the hospital. They checked me in super fast. And I woke up a few hours later on a table flopping like a fish from all of the steroids that they had used to kind of counteract the allergic reaction. And for anybody who has gone through an experience like this or been pumped full of steroids like that and had no control or maybe you've suffered seizures or anything like that, where you have like loss of control of all bodily function and it's just operating kind of uh, autonomously without any kind of voluntary movement from you, it's one of the scarier things that you can kind of experience. And and it was at that moment that the doctor came in and explained to me what had happened and told me that it was the second worst allergic reaction that the hospital there in Phoenix had ever seen. And uh, second to uh, randomly a guy who had eaten Krispy Kreme donuts, 
um, who went into full-on anaphylaxis actually three times before they actually realized that it was the Krispy Kreme donuts causing it. So take that for whatever it's worth. Um, and at that point, I checked out and I was completely in kind of a weird mental place, as you could imagine. And I went home and that's when the like disassociation started, is that when I was sitting at home, I... I experienced what I can only imagine. I never really got diagnosed, but I can only imagine from the stories of others that I've heard is that it was a massive PTSD experience because for the next six months, probably, um, it was, I was disassociated and that's the really the only way that I can actually describe it at that time, because it was, it was a time in my life where I was not myself. Um, I was kind of, it, if you can imagine, if you've seen the movie Doctor Strange and the part where he kind of astrally projects out of his body and he's kind of like outside of himself, kind of seeing himself die, um, that was what it felt like, is that I felt my consciousness kind of a little bit farther outside of myself than like connected to myself. And I operated in that kind of state for six months and if not longer. And I'm not really, to, to be honest, I'm not really sure um, how much longer than that it lasted. But I, I, you know, I'm fairly confident in that six month time frame there because it was through the rest of my school and coming back home to Dallas and working at a recording studio. Like there was a lot of time in there that it was just, it was really difficult to function. Um, it is a thing that allows me to have incredible amounts of empathy for those um, veterans and soldiers who come home with all different types of PTSD because I can only imagine, you know, what that must have been like to have gone through something on a continuous basis like that, you know, and to have it prolonged for years, if not longer, as far as the like traumatic experience that's causing that disassociation, I... I I can't even imagine, to be honest, because I experienced it for a one night thing. You know, the doctor told me I was 15 minutes away from death, that if I'd waited any longer, it would have gone into my lungs and there would have been nothing they could have done. And hearing those words was what kind of uh, like it was it was just surreal, man. It was a it was a surreal moment that left me feeling. I mean, unlike anything I've ever experienced in my life where I was experiencing a level of anxiety that was so bad that any type of like little twinging pain or anything that was happening, like that you just get normally, right? That you just feel like your body, you know, like whether it's a, you know, a tendon or a muscle or a bone or any kind of like pop or twitch or tingle or whatever it might have been, like it, it triggered a PTSD response that brought on like massive anxiety. And you know, a lot of panic attacks during that time. And I, it was to the point where I was going and sitting in the hospital waiting room, not checking in, but just because I felt like safe there. Like I, I can't explain it. It was just more so along the lines that it was kind of that 15 minutes away from death thing ringing in my head. And anytime I was feeling afraid, it was like, I was just, I wanted to be there so that uh, that, you know, the time limit to getting help was short. And, you know, at those times, you know, at those kind of places in time when you're like that far gone off of the edge of the spectrum of, you know, in the continuum of mental health, it's like, it, 
it's scary, dude. It, it is not a, it's not a fun place to be. And it took a long, long time for me to get back. Uh, you know, in, I mean, it's relative in a sense because, you know, I, the, the amount of empathy and compassion that I have for those that are suffering with PTSD for, you know, for a prolonged trauma um, is just so high, man, because I, I had such a, a, you know, a seemingly small window of trauma and yet the impact was so substantial. It was so real. It was so visceral in the disassociative feel and it was incredibly overwhelming and I had panic attacks for weeks, if not months. And the only real way that I felt like I could get through it was trying to talk to people. And yet it's so difficult to talk to somebody when you're in that disassociated state because you're not really sure how to talk about it. I didn't really, I mean, it's, it's taken me years of just trying to analyze it really to like really be able to put any kind of language to it because in it, it's so hard to, to understand it. You know, I mean, it's unlike any kind of psychedelic experience I ever, I've ever had. And I've had many of those and it was, it was way, it was way more visceral in its like disassociation. I can't say that it was more intense because I've had some psychedelic experience that were like wildly intense, but it was a very disassociative feel that left me like feeling really scared. And, you know, psychedelic experience, the way that I would like differentiate that is that after a psychedelic experience, I don't know that I've ever felt afraid. I felt like in wonder and awe and kind of surprised and shocked. Some of it has been, you know, a little difficult to like analyze and compartmentalize as to like what that really was and how to rationalize what I just saw and felt and experienced. And, but it was, it was never really that fearful. And that time in my life was, it it pushed me to the edge, man. It was like a very, a very scary time, man. And the way that I feel like I got out of it, which I have to like credit and just be authentic about was that I was sitting out at like sitting up at like three o'clock in the morning because I was actually afraid at that point to like lay down and try to go to sleep because when I closed my eyes, it was like, you're alone with your thoughts. And my thoughts were incredibly disorganized at that time and, and, a, and a scary place to be. And so I was like watching television until all hours of the night just to try to like preoccupy my brain and, and not have to deal with it. I didn't want to face it. And I think that was one of the problems is that I just didn't want to face it. I didn't want to face the fear. It was easier to run from that fear than it was to turn around and face this monster that had been created and, and which was the space really. And when I analyze it, I, I know now that the monster that got created was the space between me and my myself, you know, this kind of like almost astral projection in my physical body, that space that had been created was that it was like the distance of that was the monster itself. And turning around and facing that space and facing the reality of what happened and facing the the situation of almost dying and the fear that that brought on in those moments and, you know, being plagued with the, the afterthought of that and cycling that 
happens that goes over like a loop in your mind that won't stop it was hard to face it was like it was like incredibly difficult to like want to turn around and face that and one night like or one morning i guess at three o'clock in the morning I'm sitting up and, and, you know, this is like, you know, there's nothing on TV at those moments on cable and, uh, you know, it was just a bunch of infomercials basically. And you're just kind of like mind numbingly just staring at, at something. And all of a sudden Tony Robbins comes on and it was an interesting thing happened, man. The way that he was talking, his voice, what he was talking about this, uh, you know, basically it was like he, I just felt like he was literally talking to me and, it it reached inside of like this kind of deep recess where I guess a part of me had been hiding and just kind of put out a hand. And I, for the first time, felt like it was possible to get back. I felt like it was possible to find myself again. I felt in that moment temporary relief by what he was saying and how he was saying it and communicating to me in such a powerful way that I, at the end of the infomercial, I instantly knew that I had to get these personal power tapes, these personal power CDs and everything. And I listened to them nightly almost, I mean, religiously in a sense, like it was, I almost did it as a medication, not as a, oh, this is good. And I want to, you know, personal development. Yeah. I had no idea what personal development was. I had no idea what any of that was. All I knew at that moment was that hearing his voice and listening to what he was talking about made the distance between that projection of myself and my physical body, it decreased the distance and I could feel, I could feel whole again, if only temporarily as I was listening to what he was saying. And so long story short, I spent the next like four or five months, like listening to those CDs on repeat at all hours of the day. I remember when I go, went back home and I was still like in kind of these panic attack modes, like I would just put it in my headset. And at that point, you know, it was a CD, it was a Discman and I would walk around the blocks, you know, like all over my city, just listening to these different personal power tapes. And, and, you know, and, and then I started, you know, and a couple, like a month later, as I'm listening to it, I, I actually start doing the exercises that he's talking about. And I just started like finding myself again and you know slowly but surely i i dug myself out and you know i i credit tony robbins for really helping you know save my life at that point in time in the sense that without his help and without that like time to really focus on getting back to myself i don't know that i would have had as uh, anywhere near as easy of a time. And I, and I say easy as a relative term because it was not easy at all. But I know that it would have been so much more difficult if at all even possible at that point in time to to find myself again. And I was just telling you this story because I know... I know what it's like to, to, to lose yourself and to like be out on a ledge and feel like like you're never getting back. 
And I wanted to be vulnerable and share this story because I am not afraid of that story in my life. It is something that is so empowering now in my life when I look back at and when I talk to people because of how much empathy it gave me for people who are struggling currently because I know that the decision I made to take that antibiotic was one that I could never have foreseen the consequences being that dire. And I know that that was just my, it's a part of that metaphor that I, that I've been talking about as far as circumstances that are sometimes out of your control and also sometimes partly your responsibility. And I know that at that time that it was my responsibility that I took that, uh, that, that drug and, that was one of the more difficult things to like really grasp was that I did that to myself, you know? And, and so I, I reconcile that and, and have empathy for those people who are, who may have made decisions that have pushed themselves out on the ledge. And also I have empathy for those people who are dealing with things in their life that they may not have had any control over. But I, I just wanted to share that story so that people out there who may be listening don't feel so alone with whatever it is that they're going through. And I'm not telling you this because I think you're going to have the exact same story that I have, but what I, you know, because I'm not looking for that type of connection, you know, and I don't think you are either if you're struggling. But what it is, is that we're not alone when it comes to our struggle, because I think where we are similar and where we, we share this space is that we know what it's like to have struggled and get back so that we can turn around and help those that may be out there on a ledge by themselves like like Tony did for me you know like he struggled at times in his life got way far out on the mental health spec you know on the continuum was able to get himself back through you know through his own practices and through other people helping him. And then he turned around and has done that for thousands and thousands of people, if not millions worldwide. And that's a little bit about why I'm not afraid to tell this story is that it's, I know that this story and my desire and passion to help people and just create the safe space for people who have gone through things, that's powerful in itself. And so that's what I hope that you can take away from this. If, you've, if you're hearing this and struggling, you just know that you're not alone. Know that there are ways and, and it is possible to get back. And, you know, I'm here for you if you need to reach out. There are others out there that I know are there for you as well. Uh, you just got to find them if you don't have them in your life. If you do have them in your life, be thankful and grateful and, and really nourish those relationships because I know that my friends were there for me in, in incredibly hard times and I, lo- I love every one of them for it. And so I hope this finds you in a, in, you know, if you need it, I really hope it finds you. And if you're just, you know, grateful to have found this message because it it resonates with something you've been through, you know, I would love to hear from you and hear about your stories so that, you know, we can all feel like we're not alone. So reach out, create this community. And thank you again for listening. I will let you out on another beat. And until next time, I love you all. There's a goddess in you and I can feel it, girl The sacred feminine's coming in to heal the world Lilith and Aphrodite Conjuring these energies, awakening these spirits inside of me There's a goddess in you and I can feel it, girl The sacred feminine's coming in to heal the world Lilith and Aphrodite 
He's awakening these spirits. 